Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ranking Thrones. I am James Kelly. And I'm Evan Camacho. Every week, Evan and I meet up to talk about the kings and queen who sat on the Iron Throne. And this week, we are starting our two-parter on Aegon III. Mm -hmm. Evan, um, before we, we start, I always ask, Evan, what can you tell me about Aegon III? Not very much, really. I don't know much about him. All right, good. Part of the charm of the podcast is that I, I come in as a book fan that's very knowledgeable. And uh, Evan comes in as a fresh TV fan who only hears scant things from the TV show about the mm -hmm. about the kings and queen and all about the Iron Throne. So we're about... We have done... Let's see... If we count Viserys, we've done now six episodes on <laughs> the Dance of the Dragons. Nice. And this episode, on the first part about Aegon III, I've, I've said in our pre-recording, I think that this is basically our final, final statement and like the final end chapter of the Dance of the Dragons. Mm-hmm. So... It's finally going to be over, but it's also just such an amazing story, and it's not over yet, even with the death of Aegon II, as we'll cover. Nice. So, is he mentioned in Game of Thrones? No. No. About the sources, um, and this is going to be important. This is going to be, these next two episodes are going to be the last episode that we'll have, with Fire and Blood being a source for half of what we have about Aegon III. Hmm. From Aegon III onward, we're going to have to exclusively rely on uh, The World of Ice and Fire, which is by George R. R. Martin and superfans Elio Garcia and Linda Antonson. Hmm. It's a great like uh, book. It's a wonderful, beautiful book. It's a coffee table book, and it's, but it's a bit more like an encyclopedia. Than a history book of Fire and Blood. So we'll still have plenty of details and plenty of things to cover, but some of the episodes won't be as thoroughly detailed as I would have liked, to, if, if possible. Right. But luckily, Aegon III is going to be one of the last where we can have a really big, more fully realized portrait. Okay. So, also, does he have a nickname? Not and that. he does. He has quite a few. Uh-oh. And uh, they, they say a lot. So, he was known as Aegon the Unlucky, <laughs> Aegon the Dragon's Bane, uh -oh. and the Broken King. Oh, no. So, for this part, the rise of Aegon III. Yeah. Aegon was the son of Rhaenyra and Daemon Targaryen. Aegon was raised up and lived through the horrors of the Dance of the Dragons. Mm -hmm. Early on in the dance, his mother sent him and his younger brother Viserys to the east to be safe. This was after, after their, their brother Luke had already been killed in the dance. Jesus. And Rhaenyra wanted to protect her other her youngest sons. 
However, their merchant vessel was attacked by Lysini men who were allied with the Greens. Aegon had to mount his dragon to escape. This was the first time he ever flew on a dragon. In the mad scramble, he was not able to take his brother Viserys with him and saw the ship taken by the enemy. He understandably believed that his brother was dead and would curse himself as being responsible for his death. Aegon flew back to Dragonstone, where his dragon would die not soon after. Hmm. Aegon would live to to see his older brothers all die in the Dance of the Dragons. His mother did not take this well and clung to Aegon desperately, but Aegon was mostly sullen already. Hmm. When Rhaenyra tried to return to Dragonstone to hopefully gain new dragons, she would unexpectedly meet her brother, who had Sunfire burn and eat her. Aegon was only ten and saw this happen before him. So as we're going to cover, and he went through a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but um, Grand Maester, or, not Orwell, um, um, one of the Grand Maesters at the time just said really about Aegon. It was like, what can you really expect after everything he's been through and seen mm-hmm. at a young age? Yeah. Ten. He was 10 when he saw this happen. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know. Poor kid. Yeah. I mean, the joke that that I said that informs me about a a figure that always obsesses my mind uh, is uh, the Emperor Caligula, the future Mm -hmm. Emperor Caligula. Got lived in a wonderful time where his, his uncle executed his mother and his two brothers, and then had to live with his the uncle who executed his family yeah. for five years before becoming emperor. Great. Huh. I think that wasn't a great, great uh, background yeah. and upbringing to, to make a very sane person with absolute power. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look up Caligula, you'll understand. It kind of does explain a little bit why what happened happened. Yes doesn't always excuse what ha- what he did but oh no not at all not at all but does explain yes Aegon oh no so so Aegon the second mm-hmm. is a Aegon the younger's uncle mm-hmm. debated what to do with Aegon the younger as some argued for killing him with Rhaenyra which was Aegon the second's preference but he was ultimately convinced to spare the boy as we have covered, although Aegon the Usurper wanted to either have either Geld or have Aegon the Younger take the Black, he eventually agreed to designate Aegon the Younger as his heir and arrange for the boy to be engaged to his daughter, Jahera. Okay. Don't worry, the, the confusing amount of Aegons won't last for too much longer. Mm-hmm. Aegon II continued to make horrible decisions, and an army soon was lurking to besiege King's Landing. Lord Corlys Valerian urged King Aegon II to abdicate. The Sea Snake insisted that Aegon II would be allowed to take the Black, but Queen Alicent insisted that Aegon the Younger would want Aegon the Usurper dead for ordering his mother's death. She she instead suggested cutting off Aegon the Younger's ear as a warning to the army, led by the young Riverland commanders known as the Lads. 
King Aegon II agreed and had men sent to cut apart Prince Aegon the Younger. Jesus. Yeah. Desperation, as we covered. Desperation, yeah. but awful. Awful. <laughs> and at that point, like, I, kind of like, even though I had no real sympathy for Aegon at that point, that's like, okay, now you really are evil, evil. You crossed a line, pal. Yeah. Even though he already crossed it when he forced Aegon to watch mm-hmm. him kill his mother. Yeah. So, yeah. Instead, the sea snake and the clubfoot struck against the king and had Sir Perkin the Flea defend Prince Aegon. Mm. When the armed men demanded that they step aside in the name of the king, Sir Perkin replied, We have a new king, and pushed him onto spikes. Charming. King Aegon II was poisoned, by whom there is no direct culprit, though as we'll find out, we more or less found out everyone was responsible. <laughs> Lord Corliss met the army of the lads, who were so named because their commanders, Bloody Ben Blackwood and Sir Oscar Tully, were both young men. Bloody Ben was only 14. <laughs> Under a banner of peace, where he announced, The king is dead, long live the king. Lord Corliss led Ravens fly that there would be a, a general amnesty for the Greens who pledged their loyalty to the king, as Rhaenyra's son, now Aegon III, was declared the king. Hmm. According to Mushroom, oh, and also, I didn't know this, but they officially lowered Aegon II's green banner with a golden dragon and raised the traditional banner of Aegon the Conqueror of a black a black field and a red dragon. Nice. The original sigil of House House Targaryen was once more established. Nice. So they weren't trying to like say that the blacks were triumphant. Right. According to Mushroom, there was much drunken revelry, revelry celebrating the end of the war, but then came the terror from Lord Cregan Stark. Lord Stark angrily reprimanded the presumption that the war was over, as Stormet Storm's End still had Princess Jahera, who was necessary for the symbolic unity between the Greens and the Blacks. There was a possibility that they might proclaim her queen and prolong the war. With plenty of Greens in the South, the war was far from over in Lord Stark's eyes. The lads were in awe and terror of Lord, Lord Cregan and followed his orders and prepared for war. Even though Lord Cregan was not an older man, um, older man than the lad's commanders by much, mm-hmm. he immediately had that effect on them of being like, this is a man. Mm-hmm. And we are obeying this man. Right. Just the coldness and the strength of the Starks. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, Lord Stark was furious that King Aegon II's murder went unpunished. While everyone defended it as necessary for the good of the realm, Lord Stark said that it tarnished Aegon III, who would forever be known as having ascended to the throne through murder. He immediately took control of the city and had Lord Corliss, Lord Laris Clubfoot, members of the Kingsguard, Sir Perkin the Flea, and any others considered part of the conspiracy arrested. Mm. Lord Cregan's grip on the city was tight, but then came news that most of the southern lords agreed to Lord Corliss's terms. For this, we owe the strength of women. One was Lady Samantha Tarley, called Lady Sam. 
why. Yeah, just a fun little mythology gag. Clever, Mr. Martin. Clever, Mr. Martin. Yes, indeed. Lady Sam was the wife to the old Lord Tytower, the the grandfather to uh, King Aegon II. Mm -hmm. When the old Lord Hightower died in the First Battle of Tumbleton, the lordship passed to his young son, who was the same age as Lady Sam. Lord Hightower still hungered for war and was eager to refuse Lord Corliss's term. Mm -hmm. But then Lady Sam, who knew that the young Lord Hightower desired her, said she would marry him if he agreed to declare for Aegon III. Okay. Lord Hightower capitulated, and the two would live together. However, the High Septon refused to recognize their marriage and accused it of incest for all of his life, though a new High Septon would recognize their marriage decades later. <laughs> the other major blow to Lord Cregan's stronghold was the arrival of Reyna Targaryen with her little dragon hatchling from the Vale. Her arrival helped persuade Lord Cregan to lift his command that no one could see the king without Lord Cregan's permission, mm-hmm. as Bela and Reyna asked to see their beloved brother. In case you are wondering or understandably confused, Bela and Reyna were the daughter, the twin daughters of Daemon Targaryen and Lena Valerian, so they were Aegon's half-sisters. Huh. The meeting went poorly when Aegon saw Reyna's dragon. He screamed, Get that monster away from me! Mm-hmm. So, he had a little trouble with the dragons. Yes. A gentler blow was that Lord Stark soon found himself falling in love with Lady Alysanne Blackwood. Mm. Though what this would do, we'll talk about in a minute. As his power was dwindling, and it was clear that the lords and ladies were so exhausted by the Dance of the Dragons to continue the war, Lord Stark still demanded that the killers of Aegon II be tried and punished. He was made Hand of the King in a period called the Hour of the Wolf. Okay. Stark was cold and unforgiving. The most telling would be when Sir Perkin was brought and asked to answer for betraying Queen Rhaenyra by declaring Tristane Truefire King, and for betraying King Tristane. Sir Perkin pleaded that he had been pardoned for these crimes. Lord Stark simply replied, Not by me. Called that one. That's just like, I love that. It was like, whoa, damn. Yeah. Many would confess to either knowing of the plot to poison the king. Those that did not confess were guilty either by being too close to have not known or failing in their duty. Lord Stark was particularly cutting to the king's guard who discovered Aegon II was dead, declaring that a king's guard should never outlive his king. Right. Hear that, Jamie Lannister? Mm-hmm. All of these men... Oh, and this very much in the books, this is something that Sir Barristan the Bold very much is constantly tormented by. Mm-hmm. All of these men would be found guilty and sentenced to death. Ouch. Lord Corliss stood and defended his actions for the, as for the good of the realm. The king at last spoke and said he was pardoned with all his powers restored. However, Lord Stark brushed that off as the king could not make such rulings as he was only a boy. Mm. At this point, Lady Alley stepped forward and tried to plead for mercy for Lord Corliss. All wished for the sea snake to be spared, even his enemies. Mm. 
Lady Alley first argued that Lord Corliss should be spared for the king. When that didn't work, she then argued for the realm. Then she argued for peace. Each of these arguments, Lord Stark had a very witty reply and perfect to counter mm-hmm. these arguments. Finally, she said that, she sh- that, that Lord Stark should do it for her. Lady Ali swore that if he spared Lord Corliss, she would grant Lord Stark any boon. When Lord Stark replied, what if he asked her for her maidenhead? She replied that she could not give that as she had given that to a horse when she was ten. Lord Stark said that some would claim that she wasted her maidenhead on the horse rather than a husband. Lady Ali replied that the horse was useful and far better than many husbands. Lord Stark laughed and agreed to sparing the sea snake. In exchange, he asked for Lady Ali's hand in marriage, which Mushroom says is what she wanted in the first place. The saying went, a hand for a head. As for Lord Laris Clubfoot, he chose not to say a word in his defense, simply saying, what words can I say to sway a wolf? Sometimes, sometimes you know when to, sometimes you know when you lost. And also, as noted, Lord Lord Laris Clubfoot, like many masters of whispers, had few friends, and no one stood up to defend him. Unlike Lord Corliss Valerian. Yeah, sounds about right. The following morning was stormy, and Lord Stark unsheathed his Valerian ancestral sword, Ice. He was a true Northman and was determined to behead all the traitors personally. When Sir Perkin was asked for last words, he asked to join the Night's Watch, which Lord Stark accepted. All but two would similarly ask to join the Night's Watch. The only exceptions were the Knight of the Kingsguard, whom agreed with Lord Cregan that a Knight of the Kingsguard should not outlive his king. The other was Lord Laris Clubfoot, who simply asked that, after they behead him, remove his clubfoot, as he hoped it would not come with him in the afterlife. Lord Stark granted this, and with Lord Laris Clubfoot's death, so died the last legitimate member of the strong family that had ruled Harrenhal since Magor the Cruel. Mm. Oops. That's it for that line. Yep. And that's another example of Harrenhal being cursed. Having brought justice for Aegon II, and ensuring that the Greens and Blacks were reconciled, Lord Cregan surprised many by residing as Hand of the King. He would return to Winterfell and take his new wife with him. Lady Alley had many of the Northmen go south and marry many of the widows in the Riverlands. Others formed companies of sellswords to seek the wars to the east. The men that had gone with Lord Stark had always intended to to not return to Winter, Winterfell and the North. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to figure out what to do now. Mm. So, Aegon was officially crowned Aegon III with a simple golden crown and was wed to his eight-year-old cousin, Jahera, daughter of Aegon II. Right. With the joining of the son and daughter of the Blacks and Greens, the Dance of the Dragons was over. Mm. In the end, arguably the Blacks won the Dance of the Dragons. Though Rhaenyra only sat on the Iron Throne for six months, Mm -hmm. all of the kings who would sit on the Iron Throne, 
including Robert Baratheon, were descendants of Rhaenyra and Daemon. Nice. As we will sadly find out soon, Aegon II's line would die with him. Mm-hmm. And with that, we're going to end part one. May the rest in peace. So, that's it for the Dance of the Dragons. Any mm-hmm. final thoughts? Just brutal. Brutal, Brutally. avoidable, just sad. Yeah. And so, we're, we're going to get into it. I mean, we can't really... I guess I can talk about it here, because I don't really... We might not get a, a ton into it in the, the Jahara episode, mm-hmm. or the, the, the next episode, but... Even Jahara, she had she had seen her her brother be murdered right in front of her, mm-hmm. and her other other brother was ex was also like killed by a mob. Yeah, she had lost all of her of her brothers and her father and her mother. Jesus, like all like the these two kids like sadly were basically just. Orphans by the war. Right. And just awful. And all of this is just... Is just tragic. It's a great, magnificent tragedy. And that's why... um, In the book... In Fire and Blood... Mm -hmm. Mr. Gildane is very critical of the term... The Dance of the Dragons. Saying that's too colloquial. Mm -hmm. The better term is the Death of the Dragons. Yeah. And... In a way, I agree. I, I also ultimately like the Dance of the Dragons because it has a better ring to it. Right. But Death of the Dragons is a better descriptor <laughs> for what happened. This is the end of the glory days of the Targaryens. It's weird. As we'll get into it again, they, they still have some great days ahead of them. Yeah. But as, as we've covered, basically, and like kind of as, as we'll, we'll see in the next episode... This is really it for like that was it for them like being the apex of their power. Mm-hmm. From this point on, it's just going to be just like more and more decline and more and more like their right. legitimacy and their their hold is going to be more and more put to the test. Yeah, until eventually Robert shows up. Right. So. Thank you for joining us on the our long, wonderful journey for the Dance of the Dragons. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week. We will finish up Aegon the Third. See how the this poor boy came to be known as the Broken King, and maybe we'll we'll discuss is that a bit of a bad rep? Okay. So tune in next week, and we'll find out. <laughs>